Open your Bibles with me to Zechariah chapter 10. Zechariah chapter 10. Jenna, thank you for playing the piano today. It's good to see you over there. And Noah up here leading the singing. And Abby singing. It's good to see these young people serving God. I love it. I know you guys probably think, you say that every time. That's because I love it every time, seeing these young people serve God. That's a blessing. I just wish my kids would serve God. That would be... Zechariah chapter 10. Zechariah chapter 10. So let me tell you what's going to be happening, Lord willing. So you all know that I didn't make it through my message last week. So this is part two. We're going to finish, Lord willing, chapter 10 today. Then this evening, and this is just going to be a verse by verse, and it's going to be fun. Be sure you have your Bible in front of you. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the chair in front of you or near you. And so be sure you get a Bible because we're going to be going all through the scriptures today, looking at the cross references to Zechariah chapter 10. Tonight, we're going to do the same thing, finishing up chapter 9. Then next week is just an amazing thing that I can't wait to show you. I wanted to do it this morning, but there was no way time-wise to do it all. So next Sunday morning, it's another one of those when we did Daniel 70 weeks and we looked at the math and how that adds up. We're going to do that again next week for something else. And so it's going to be a lot of fun. So be in your place next Sunday morning. And then after that, we're going to be diving into chapters 11 through 14, which are considered some of the most profound prophetic passages in the scriptures. So it's going to be a lot of fun as we finish up this book of Zechariah. Look at Zechariah chapter 10. And let's start reading in verse 4. Out of him came forth the corner, out of him the nail, out of him the battle bow, out of him every oppressor together. And they shall be as mighty men which tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. And they shall fight because the Lord is with them and the riders on the horses shall be confounded. And I will strengthen the house of Judah and I will save the house of Joseph. And I will bring them again to place them for I have mercy upon them. And they shall be as though I had not cast them off for I am the Lord their God and will hear them. And they of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man, and their heart shall rejoice as through wine. Yea, their children shall see it and be glad. Their heart shall rejoice in the Lord. I will hiss for them and gather them, for I have redeemed them, and they shall increase as they have increased. And I will show among the people, and they shall remember me in far countries, and they shall live with their children and turn again. And I will bring them again also out of the land of Egypt and gather them out of Assyria. And I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon and place shall not be found for them. And he shall pass through the sea with affliction and shall smite the waves in the sea and all the deeps of the river shall dry up and the pride of Assyria shall be brought down and the scepter of Egypt shall depart away. And I will strengthen them in the Lord And they shall walk up and down in his name, saith the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, help us as we study your word. There's so much in this chapter. Lord, help us as we look at the scriptures to have confidence in what you've told us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to come back to verse 4. It says, Out of him came forth the corner, out of him the nail, out of him the battle bow, out of him every oppressor together. And what I want you to see is last week we looked at, if you look at verse 2, it says, For the idols have spoken vanity, and the diviners have seen a lie, and have told false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore, they went their way as a flock. They were troubled because there was no shepherd. 
Mine anger was kindled against the shepherds, and I punished the goats. For the Lord of hosts hath visited his flock, the house of Judah, and hath made them as his goodly horse in the battle. And what we looked at was the this idolatry that had taken over the nation of Israel, how they had idolatry before they went into Babylon, and then they brought Babylonian idolatry with them out of the captivity, and how God had judged them for it. And then we looked at how there is idolatry and demonic work in the world today. We looked at the course in miracles. Marianne Williamson, boy, didn't she show herself again in the Democrat debate talking about, I don't know, this this force of darkness and all of this stuff. She is a trip. But we looked at that Course in Miracles that she teaches for Oprah Winfrey and all of that last week to see how this, and she channeled that from a demon. That's what, that's what she has written in it, that this, this is all channeled from a demon. And the, now, how many of you think that just sounds crazy to say it out loud? I didn't say it. The person who did the Course in Miracles said they channeled it from this spirit named Jesus. And just the craziest stuff, and we looked at that last week. This week, what I want us to see is the promises that Jesus Christ has, or that the, the Word of God makes to us, that Jesus Christ fulfills in His return. We looked at the, the problem of the demonic influence, and that the answer is given in verse 4. And it says, out of Him, that's out of, out of who? Out of Him, that's out of Judah, out of Judah. And if you look at verse 3, mine anger was kindled against the shepherds, and I punished the goats, for the Lord of hosts had visited his flock, the house of Judah. So out of him, that's out of Judah, came forth the corner. And of course, Jesus Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So out of him comes, and then there are these characteristics. So let's trace this down. Are you all with me so far? How many of you are excited to be at church today? Okay, you're looking a little dead, and I'm very insecure. So, so if I don't get some feedback here, you know, who knows what would happen. I might, you know, have to go on medication or something. So everybody get your Bibles and let's track all of this. Wade, what did you just say? More medication, Wade said. Yes, more medication. I need more, uh, more acid reflux medicine. All right. So look at this. Out of him, in verse 4 again, out of him came forth the corner. Now, how many of you know that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone? So let's track down some of the information about this. Go to Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. And look at verse 7. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying grace unto it. Jesus Christ is the head of the corner, the Bible tells us, and he's coming back. Praise God for that. He is the headstone of the corner. Go to Psalm 118. If you are a guest with us at Grace Baptist today, or you haven't been here much, when you preach through books of the Bible like we do, sometimes it's exciting and, you, you know, it's a, it's a shout. Other times it's just point by point by point, studying the scriptures, going through the Bible, allowing the Bible to define itself. A lot of churches, the, the, the church service has become kind of a cheerleading squad, you know, where it's just the pastor tries to pump up the people so they can make it through the week. You have the Holy Spirit of God to help you make it through the week. Amen. We come together to study God's word and be taught God's word. So if you're used to a more exciting service or whatever, we have those. 
But today is a time to learn God's word. That's what we're going to be doing. All right. So look at Psalm chapter 118. And look at verse 22. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. There are many, many passages in the Bible that talk about who Jesus is as that cornerstone. Go to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21, look at verse 42. Matthew 21, 42. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Remember when Jesus is, what Jesus is asking them, Have you never read that? That's Psalm 118. That next part, this is the Lord's doing, that's the next verse in Psalm 118. So the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus Christ is the head of the corner. Look at Mark chapter 12. What's repetition in the Bible? So God is wanting us to see something. Whenever you see something repeated in three or four of the Gospels, you know it's really important for us to know. All right, so Mark chapter 12 and look at verse 10. And have you not read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, look at verse 12. This will, whenever we might miss something in the scriptures, the Pharisees come to our rescue. Okay, look at verse 12. And they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them, and they left and went their way. So when the Pharisees want to kill him, that's when you know Jesus Christ is claiming to be the Messiah. Okay, and that's what's going on here. We've looked at this before, but let's look again. Luke chapter 20 and verse 17. Luke 20 and verse 17. And he beheld them and said, What is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. And it's interesting. Jesus then adds some commentary in Luke that we don't get in the others. Um, look with me at Luke. Keep your place in Luke 20. Go to Luke chapter 1. Verse 1, for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. You might want to write down next to that, do I most surely believe these things? How many of you most surely believe the things that are written in the Bible? Remember, I pointed out to you years ago that Lee Strobel, uh, in the case for the New Testament or something, he interviewed a scholar from Canada which is the first problem. Where's the Kennedys? It's the first problem. And he introduced this New Testament scholar, he interviews him, and he asked this New Testament scholar, are the gospel records reliable? And the scholar said, they're essentially reliable. And so what I said is, imagine if I go out and I preach somewhere and I come home and Laura says, were you faithful? And I said, essentially. How's that going to go? Is that going to work well for me? 
No, that scholar needs to lay aside a scholarship and most surely believe the scriptures. Amen. We believe the word of God. So for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth. He was from McMaster, Patrick. Yeah, Patrick knows about that school. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things, which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. So others have written the record, but look at what he says in verse 3. It seems good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. So Luke ends up giving us a lot of information that the other Gospels don't. You'll find him filling things in that the others don't. We find that in Luke chapter 20. So go back to Luke 20. All right, so the middle of verse 17, the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. And verse 18 becomes a really important verse. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. What is that talking about? Listen, if you'll repent and bow before the Lord Jesus Christ, who you were will be broken. If you don't bow, he will fall on you and you'll be ground to powder. Am I making it up or is that the teaching of the text? Jesus Christ, that court, boy, nobody answered. Am I making it up or is that the teaching of the text? Let me try that again. Am I making it up or is that the teaching of the scriptures? Amen. Jesus Christ, our precious savior, will let you reject him. But the result for rejecting him is the judgment for sin. Jesus Christ paid our penalty, and he is happy to give us the results of that payment. Or he says, pay it yourself. One way it's got to be paid. One way or another, it has to be paid. Look at um, Acts chapter 4 and verse 10. All right, Peter preaching. The Bible says, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of the builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So back in, we're not going back there yet, but in Zechariah chapter 10, when he gives the idolatry and the judgment that came from the idolatry, the answer is the corner. The answer is Jesus Christ. Look at Isaiah chapter 28. Look at verse 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, 
a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Man, just believe in Jesus. He's precious. He's sure. That is Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. All right, look at 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter two, look at verse one. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If so be that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of, a cor of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Now, it's really important that we understand this. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. And he is either our Lord to whom we bow, the one that we bow before, or he is the one that people stumble over. How many of you know that the Lord hates the Jesus of the Bible? The world hates the Jesus of the Bible. I quote Erwin Lutzer often. He said, if the world loves your Jesus, it's because you have made him into something that he is not. The world hates the Jesus of the Bible. That's nothing new that happened in the scriptures. Look at Romans chapter 9. You know, Jesus told them, don't be surprised when the world hates you. They hated me first. If we're looking for the acceptance of the world, we, we're following the wrong Savior. We need to choose to be accepted of Christ. All right, look at Romans chapter 9. Look at verse 32. Uh, verse 31. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 33. I'm sorry, verse 23. Verse 33 would be hard to find. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. Did any of you get to see Ben Shapiro's interview of John MacArthur? Did any of you get to see that? How many of you did not see it? Just, just YouTube it. Just watch Ben Shapiro's interview with John MacArthur. And then a week or two ago, 
he interviewed Ravi Zacharias. So look at the interview that Ben Shapiro has with, with MacArthur, the interview that he has with Ravi Zacharias. Both of them preach Christ to him. I've heard Ben Shapiro say that, uh, that they call the New Testament the fiction section of the Bible. They don't, he does not believe in Jesus. The stumbling stone for Shapiro is not righteousness. He, he's an Orthodox Jew. The, 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 the rules aren't the problem for Shapiro. The problem is Jesus. For the Jews, a stumbling block. And then when you look at the new atheists, those who, they, they worship logic. They stumble at the idea that a man would get up and rise, a dead man would get up and walk. That, that a man could be born of a virgin. They believe that that's absolute foolishness. Isn't it interesting that 2,000 years ago, God told us exactly the way the world would be today. He is a stumbling block to the Jews, and he's foolishness to the Greeks, and that's why we just need to preach Christ as he is in the Bible. Jews will be saved. Those who follow logic will be saved because we have a logical truth. It is a wonderful thing to go to the Scriptures and show someone how they can trust in Christ. We need to pray for Shapiro that that the, the truth of the Word of God will pierce his heart. That I, I mentioned in Sunday school, uh, Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson has such an amazing mind. I love listening to him talk. He's, he's a brilliant mind and a brilliant thinker. And he is a theist of some sort, but he has not rested in Jesus Christ. He says it's too complicated. It's too complicated a conversation. That's kind of the way he talks. And when you, go, when you look at it, it's not complicated. He's God, you're not repent. But that's foolishness. So we have to pray for these people, these influencers. They influence the culture in such a profound way. Can you imagine if those two guys told the world, you know what, Jesus Christ is Lord. Man, we need to pray for them. Jesus Christ is this stone, it's a stone of stumbling. Go back to Matthew chapter 21. Look at verse 44. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. It's interesting that this verse, it determines your eternity. One of the things that I love to see in the scriptures is how in the New Testament, God deals with the individual. And so an individual can fall on the Lord and be broken, but in a good way. If they don't, they'll be ground to powder, an individual. In the Old Testament, it's nations that God deals with. And what's going to happen is soon, it could happen today, we're going to be taken out. The rapture is going to take place, and every believer all over the world, living or dead, will be raised to ascend to heaven, to meet the Lord in the air. And then that tribulation period is going to begin on the earth. God is going to begin again working with nations at that point. Look at Matthew chapter 25. Uh, Make it chapter 24. 
Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, so we know that's immediately after the tribulation period, right? Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from the heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. You see that? So after the tribulation, he's going to gather his people again. Go to chapter 25, verse 31. So at the rapture, people don't see him. At the return of Christ seven years later, people see him. Look at verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all individuals, nations. And he begins with this judgment of the nations. So it's so interesting. Jesus Christ is the focus of the nations in the Old Testament and in the future, and he's the focus of individual salvation today. Jesus Christ, that cornerstone, he's the one that we must preach. He's the one that we must worship. He's the one that we must communicate with other people, but he must be the Jesus of the Scriptures, the Jesus of the Bible. It's vital that we see that. That's the Lord that we worship, Jesus Christ. He begins with individuals. I'm sorry, he begins with nations. Then he goes to individuals. And then he goes back to nations again. Go back to Zechariah chapter 10. Look with me at verse 5. You know, let's, let's finish up verse 4. Out of him came forth the corner, out of him came the nail, out of him came the battle bow. So what about this nail? We need to figure that out. Look with me at Isaiah chapter... Oh, wait a minute, before we do that, I distracted myself. We've got to finish up the stone. I've got to finish it with this. Nations, individuals, remember? Verse in Matthew chapter 21, you can see he's starting to point to individuals. But in uh, Daniel chapter 2... Let's look at this. Daniel chapter 2. All you epic kids ought to know this already. Epic adults. Daniel chapter 2. Look at verse 44. So again, this is the image that... Nebuchadnezzar saw, Daniel gives him the interpretation of it, and he's dealing with these nations. In verse 44, it says, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. How's he going to do it? Forasmuch as thou sawest that stone was cut out of the mountain without hands... And that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. 
So when is this when is this nation this stone going to come and fall on these nations? When is that going to take place? It says that it shall come to pass hereafter. Go to Revelation chapter 4. Look at verse 1. All right, Revelation 4 and verse 1, after this, after what? Look at verse 22 of the chapter before. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto what? The churches. So after the church age, after this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither. That's the rapture. All right? And then what happens? Now, this is specifically to John. He's caught up. But this is also time-wise exactly what happens to the church. Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. All right? So that hereafter is the same hereafter that you find in Daniel chapter 2. So individually now we come to Christ. We bow before him. But nationally, after the rapture of the church, he's going to start dealing with these nations, and ultimately that stone is going to come and crush those nations who refuse Jesus Christ who treat Israel wrongly. That's all coming, okay? Now, let's look at this nail. Let, go back to Zechariah chapter 10. <clears throat> out of him came forth the corner. Out of him, the nail. Out of him, the nail. Go to Isaiah chapter 22. Get Isaiah 22 and Revelation 3. We'll start in Revelation 3. Revelation 3, Jesus Christ is dealing with the church at Philadelphia. And he says in verse 7, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. So this is Jesus Christ describing himself and Jesus Christ has, he is true, he has the key of David, and he opens and no man shuts. All right? So the key of David, this key of David and this opening, that's the cross-reference to Isaiah chapter 22. So look at Isaiah chapter 22. Now here, there was an, unru an unworthy leader named Shebna, and Shebna is being replaced by Eliakim. And so look at verse 20, Isaiah 22 and verse 20. And it shall come to pass in that day. Now, in that day, does that tell you anything? That's looking for the return of Christ. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. And I will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with thy girdle. And I will commit thy government into his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. That's just like in Isaiah 9, 6. I'll put the government on his shoulder. I will lay the key to the house of David. I'll lay it upon his shoulder. So he shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. So that's the cross-reference to the Revelation 3, 7. Now look at verse 23, though. And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place. 
and he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. This idea of the nail, that's the stake in the temple. Or I'm sorry, in the tabernacle. That's what held up the whole building. That's the centerpiece of the whole thing. That's what this is talking about. It's a sure foundation pointing to Jesus Christ. That stake, it is Jesus Christ. And it's to establish his leadership. So this is dealing with Christ again and how all of the law, all of the prophets, all of the sacrifices, it all points to him and then ultimately it all hangs on him. Jesus Christ is the answer to all religion. He's the answer to all idolatry and he's the answer to all of our needs. Then he's called the battle bow there in uh, Zechariah 10 verse 4. He's the battle bow. What's this talking about? Well, look at Exodus chapter 15. Right, Exodus chapter 15, and look at verse 3. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. The Lord is a man of war. Isn't that interesting? It says the Lord is a man of war. Remember what it said. Keep your place here. Go to Job Chapter 13. No, I'm sorry, it's Job chapter 9. So this is Job talking about God. Job chapter 9, look at verse 32. For he is not a man as I am that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and let not his fear terrify me. Then would I speak and not fear him. But it is not so with me, for he is not a man. It's interesting. Job says he's not a man, but Exodus 15.3 says the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Who is this man of war? It's Jesus Christ, the Lord of hosts. All through the book of Zechariah, Jesus Christ is described as the Lord of hosts. Whenever you see that term, the Lord of hosts, that's the Lord Jesus Christ coming back with his armies to do battle. So Jesus is that battle bow. So what's the answer to the idolatry in the world? What's the answer to the trouble in all of these nations? It's Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the answer today as our Savior, and he's the answer to the world later as the judge of the world. Jesus Christ is that key. He's that cornerstone. We'll finish up this text this evening. But what I wanted to do is we went through very briefly last week who Jesus was in this text. And I thought it was important for us to take and trace this down through the scriptures. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of every one of these prophecies in the Bible. He's the fulfillment of every one of these prophecies. And ultimately, he's the fulfillment of the prophecy about you. You are in the Bible. You are. You will either fall on him and be broken, or he will fall on you and grind you to powder. 
Now, I know that that doesn't fit the Mr. Rogers version of Jesus that the world teaches. Jesus just wants to be your friend. No, he doesn't. He wants to be your savior. It's so important that we understand that we must bow before him. You know, we bow before him before we're saved. We bow before him while we're saved. And we will always bow before him in eternity. We do call Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He is our Lord and King. Amen. So two questions for you. Number one, have you bowed before him? Are you born again today? Do you know for sure that if you died today that you would go to heaven? That's the first question. Secondly, for those of us who have bowed before him, who have trusted him as Savior, is he our Lord? Are we acknowledging him as our Lord? Are we flippant in our relationship with him? Does he control every aspect of our lives? Is he our Savior? Isn't that a good question? Are we living in the presence of God every day? You can't get, you know, I mentioned that sometimes it's just a Bible study and other times it's preaching. I don't know, there's no way to study the Bible without it being preaching. Because we must always come to a decision. A preacher called me yesterday and asked me, what do you think about invitations? Well, all an invitation at the end of a service is, is it's giving people an opportunity to respond to the message that was preached. The prophets of God in the Old Testament always called the people to a decision. The Apostle Paul, all through his writings, always has a therefore. Like in chapter 12 and verse 1 of the book of Romans, I beseech you therefore, based on what? Everything he said in chapters 1 through 11, that you present your body as a living sacrifice. There's a therefore. You learn the truth and there's a response required to the truth. Today, we've looked at the cornerstone. We've looked at the nail. We've looked at the battle bow. We've looked at our Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a response required to that. And I'll tell you the response that I have to it personally is I don't acknowledge him enough during my day. All of us, if he really is our Lord, he should be controlling every decision that we make through his word as we acknowledge him in our lives. Amen? Man, we've got to get to that place. Let's make sure that we're not playing Christian, but that we're living Christ out in the world. Um, I was talking with someone today or this week, and they were talking about possibly moving a shift at work. And somebody else was talking with him about that shift, another believer, and how on that shift it's basically Sodom and Gomorrah. It's just wickedness day in and day out. How many of you, you're around a situation like that? That's just, it's just immorality all around you. Well, that's why we need Christ. The Bible says that he's left us as lights in this world, that, that we're supposed to shine the glory of God in this world. We can't do that if we're focused on our surroundings. We need to be focused on Christ. We need to put him forward as the answer to all of these issues. Let's just talk about Jesus. Amen. Now, how many of you will say this? This is what I want to ask for you. This is what I want to wrap it up with. How many of you say, you know what? With the Lord's help, I'll talk to someone about Jesus this week. Raise your hand. I'll talk to someone about Jesus. That's just me trying to bring you to a decision. We're supposed to talk about him all the time. We're supposed to be his witnesses. But sometimes it's good just to be reminded. Let's talk to somebody about Christ today, this week. 
Let's find a way to talk to somebody about Jesus. I promise you, if you pray, God will give you a way to talk to someone about Christ. Amen? All right, let's go to the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to study it. Lord, thank you for those teachers who've gone before me that I can study to learn these things.